You bring the passion. We bring the knowledge. Learn from the most creative, innovative and experienced youth experts across the globe. Are you ready to take your youth ministry to the next level? If the answer is yes, you are in the right place. The Youth Workshop, the podcast. Here's your host, Luke White. Hey friends, in January 2017, we hosted our very first online summit. It featured some of the finest youth workers from around the world, giving great insights into how we can lead more effectively. Now, I know some of you couldn't make it and some of you didn't even know about it. And I'm sorry for that. So here's the next best thing. This month, September, will be dedicated to excerpts from the summit. I hope you enjoy, but most of all, I hope you do something with it. We are joined by Dr. Bex Lewis, and she is the Director of Digital Fingerprint and a Senior Lecturer in Digital Marketing at Manchester Metropolitan University. Dr. Doctor, how are you doing? All right. Nice sunny morning. (laughs) (laughs) It is so good to have you here. Thank you so much. And um, maybe tell our listeners a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like at the moment. Oh, my day-to-day is kind of, uh, well, when I'm not in work, get up, go for a little walk, come back, sit down at the computer (laughs) and write a lot of material for students. I've got all my marking done, yes. Oh, wow. (laughs) Excellent. So giving all that back soon um but yeah when i'm when i'm in work i teach four days a week so i teach a module on digital strategy i teach a unit on what it's like to work in an agency um mostly collecting that from other people because i've never worked in one i own a consultancy (laughs) not an agency um and then uh first year unit on digital platforms and how they can be used and uh and uh and i'm doing a master's unit on research methods so Planning to keep me busy and wow. a little bit of writing and talking on the side, you know. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, this is, uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you've made the time. You definitely, you definitely are a practitioner in this field and it's so relevant right now. So, um, you know, what from what you are involved in and being involved in, what what's kind of, talk us through some of the major issues we need to be considering as we as we start to talk about digital media and uh, sorry, digital and social media as, as youth leaders? Um, there's lots of things. I think the biggest thing is kind of being familiar with it and not being afraid to dive in and get on with it. Um, I think youth leaders are probably better at this than others. It's been quite interesting running. I've run a lot of workshops for vicars and you end up with a lot of retired people coming. And interestingly, a lot of the youth events, the younger people don't come. But the older people who've got spare time, they will come because mm. they know they don't know it all. Mm. Whereas the younger people, <laughs> it's what I see with my students is because they use Twitter and Facebook, they think they know how to use it for everything else mm-hmm. rather than trying to think about how other people use it and how we do it in a kind of different way. Um, <laughs> so, love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. That's, that's real interesting. So tell us about this book then, Raising okay. Children in a Digital Age. Yeah, it was, um, I didn't plan on writing it because, um, you know, I teach over 18s, I don't have kids, all of that kind of stuff. But um, Ali, who's my editor, met me at a conference and was saying to me, I think you've really got something to offer. And so we talked about it and I thought, yeah, I have the skills. I've, I've been online since, I think I sent my first email in 1995, built my first web page in 1997. <laughs> 
uh, run my own business in digital since 2001, joined my first social network in 2005, so a little bit late, seeing as the first one came out in 2004. Um, <laughs> oh, you were slow there, doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but also what I'm seeing with the 18-year-olds turning up is there's, you know, they're not confident, they're not really thinking about using it outside of where they're going. Mm. And plus, obviously, I've got research skills. Mm. Um so they commissioned the book. I think I spent about eight months just with my head in all the other books and mm. all kinds of stuff. And the one thing that really struck me was that most of them are really negative about how dangerous it is. Mm. And it's all about safeguarding and it's all about looking after yourself. And not anyone's really looking about the positives you could really do with it. Mm. And so that's the angle I want to come for, which is why it's so cheery and pink <laughs> and smiley. Um, and so it, and um and it ended up being raising children in the digital age, although we'd started off talking about digital parenting, because mm. I think we've all got a responsibility. The government's got a responsibility. Wow. The software companies have got a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Parents, voluntary organisations, teachers, youth workers, we've all got a responsibility to do our part in raising sort of awareness of what that space is like for kids, whether it's good, whether it's bad. Um and I don't think it's good or bad. I think there's really positive stuff you can do with it and really mm-hmm. negative. One of the analogies I use quite a lot is the notion of um, like a brick. Um, so if someone gives you a brick and says, what can you do with this? There's certain things you can do because it's shaped in a certain way, uh, which limit, but also give you choices. And two of those choices are you could chuck it through a window, which is bad, or you can build something with it, yeah, which yeah, is good. Yeah, and that's what yeah. we need about technology a bit more like that and what I really want is those trying to work with children in that space to understand what that environment is like Mm. Um, for children to sort of understand the pressures that are on there Um, although I don't think all the pressures are technological I think just a lot of them happen on technology Mm. let's talk more about that because you know as (laughs) as we talk about and and we're in the part of the the um this summit right now where we're talking about innovation and a lot of the time when we start to think about innovation in our churches or in our ministry um it's not long before we start talking about social media and and reaching people using that technology so you know what what are um the pressures that we should be aware of um because I, I like that point that it's not the the social media itself it it, it it's, it's not the social media itself that is creating those issues. It's just taking place there. Tell us a little bit more yeah. about that. Yeah, so I mean, I originally trained as a historian. So my original focus was on Second World War propaganda posters. Wow. Um, so kind of communication, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Mm. And one of my worries is we don't look historically at stuff mm. enough and see that things have happened before and all these kind of things. So quite often people will say that, you know, technology is really antisocial. Um, there's a picture on one of my slides of guys sitting on the bus reading their newspapers you know back in the black and white photo days Mm -hmm. none of us want to get on the tube and have a chat with anyone do we (laughs) so we're chatting to other people online (laughs) um so i think it's not denigrating kind of what people are doing most people are connecting with people online Mm. um they're not you know ignoring their own thing there was a there was a picture in the paper last year of kids ignoring a beautiful picture in an art gallery and everyone was like how terrible is that they were actually looking up information about that that piece of art so Mm. you know let's not assume um and then there's thinking about there's a lot of pressure to be cool Mm. and there's a lot of pressure 
to respond fast. There's a there's a kind of notion that if you don't respond fast, you're not a very good friend. Mm. And that's where I think youth um, groups can really help, particularly if you bring the parents in for a conversation after the kids have had a chat, is actually, you know, if they know that everyone else in the group is not allowed to go on their phone after mm. kind of like eight o'clock at night or whatever it is, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, then it's much easier to do it because you know that you've not got the pressure and you're not going to be left out and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And if you think all of those pressures are the same old pressures, aren't they? Things like bullying, things like being left out, people calling names, all of that kind of stuff. And every time you get a problem, I think the technology possibly offers another solution. Mm. So if we're talking about bullying, it's much easier to reach people. Stuff that you thought was gone will come back up again because it's hiding somewhere online. Mm. Um, It's much easier for people to pile on. But if you think of the converse of that, Whereas before you had to show for it was a few bruises, mm-hmm. now you've got a digital trail of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And if you can encourage people to create what I call digital allies, mm-hmm. then if someone sees something negative happening online, other people can come in mm-hmm. and say, hey, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, cyberbullying is like the biggest topic. When I started looking at it, it was the most difficult chapters to write. But also, since I've written my book, loads of people have written stuff about cyberbullying because it's one of the biggest concerns mm. for parents. And then um, one of the, where did I put it? There was a quote from Nancy Willard who said, um, because they're online more, they are going to be exposed to it. But mm-hmm. we need to understand that the vast majority of young people want to make good choices, do not want to be harmed, and do not want to to see their friends or others harmed. So we need to create resilient children who know how to deal with all that kind of stuff. Mm. I think part of what we've seen is a culture where children are kind of in cotton wool build. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the thing where people say people aren't going out is partly because the outside world doesn't seem safe. Mm. And so if you can't go out to it, you're gonna engage with it online, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's um it's why I love them. I've just been out for a Pokemon walk this morning. Um, <laughs> so um, <laughs> you got to catch them all. Yeah, I think I'm about hundred. Oh, so um, I played it quite seriously for the first couple of weeks and then dropped um, because I'm not really a gamer. It's not really my <laughs> my thing. Um, and then I was sat down with a friend and she was like, "Oh, you can do this and you can do this." And one of the things the guys that one of the guys that created it said he was fed up with people sat in a room on their own, never moving. So he's created a game where people play as a team and they have to get, you have to go out and get stuff. So I was out walking mm-hmm. and I'm collecting, you know, the, the not only the Pokemon, but I'm hatching my eggs, you know, I'm <laughs> uh, I'm getting extra candies for my buddy and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, for the last three days, because usually when I work at home, I'm not very good about going out. Yeah. And I thought, actually, I'll go out every day for a couple of kilometres, hatch a, hatch a bit of an egg yeah. <laughs> and come back. And the kids love it. And um I was talking to one of my friends who was a vicar and she said um, she had a really interesting conversation with a child who was in the graveyard because he was trying to collect uh, something in the graveyard. And he had, his granddad had died that year. She ended up having a really intense conversation with him about death. Wow. Uh, and, and I think that is the kind of stuff you can't necessarily prepare for. No. But you kind of want to put yourself in a situation mm. um, 
because I think when Pokemon came out, everyone got really excited because lots of churches are Pokestops and gym. Yeah. They're like, oh, the kids are going to have to come into church and we're going to evangelise them. You're like, not really how it works, but you only have to stand outside. Um, so it's more of a kind of invitational and conversational opportunity. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so, definitely. Um, so a lot of it is just, I, I, I think I'm not really talking about the stuff to be aware of. I've talked about the, the, the being aware of the opportunities, mm-hmm, really. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's trying to think, you know, what, what do people want? And um, there's a slide on there from um, Vava. Her, her real name's Bryony. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was one of my dissertation students, but she also used to be a social media consultant before she became a vicar. Okay. Um, so she's one of the people who's been very good with Pokemon, talk, been out talking to the kids hanging outside the church and saying, we're not just a Pokestop, we have services, but, you know, not pushing. Yeah. Um, but her dissertation was looking about evangelism online mm. and saying... Um, actually it can be a space where people be prepared to ask a lot of questions that they wouldn't want to ask if they're stuck in a face-to-face environment um where they where they kind of feel like they're stuck um because when we talk about you know the negatives of digital we tend to talk about disinhibition so the notion that you forget that there's someone on the other side of the screen um and so she's kind of turned that on his head and said, yeah, there's a lot of negative stuff, but actually here's some of the positive stuff that happen. And a lot of that happens on private messaging. So I think a lot of the time people are concerned with the public stuff that's going oh. on. But a huge amount of what I think youth work is going to be doing is going to be happening in the private messaging arena and having to think about how you kind of manage that. People are prepared to be a bit more vulnerable because they know that they can run away or not respond, or take their time to respond. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's thinking about the, all the stuff that's presented as really negative and actually say, how do we talk about this in a good way? How do we make it an everyday part of our conversations with the youth? How do we encourage ministers and churches to make it part of their sermons? You know, it's part of everyday life. It's not this weird old thing out here that a few strange people are doing. It's absolutely, <laughs> you know, absolutely huge numbers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. it was, you know, Ofcom brought out a new report in November. Mm-hmm. It's about 160 pages long or something. I just picked one picture. From it. <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's a lot of pictures, though. So. Okay, I'll let them off then. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of graphs. They make great things for presentations. Um and it's interesting. I went. I went to talk last year with the government, and they were saying, you know, social media companies for years have got away with the fact that they say you have to be over thirteen to belong to all of them. But actually, um, if you look at some of the graphs, um, something like fifty percent of eight to twelve-year-olds have already got Facebook. You know, they're not supposed to be on there. Um, so they're like, maybe they need to stop hiding behind that bit of legality. Um, but it is huge. I mean, the diagram we've got there is 12 to 15-year-olds, and they've done a diagram of what happens each year as things kind of come and go. And you can see Facebook is sloping off, but it's still massive. Um, um, and I think from my experience of that kind of age that I've worked with, they'll use it for occasional chats with family, but they're doing other stuff on more private platforms like WhatsApp and Snapchat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Facebook is, a- yeah. well, as they all do, they age up, don't they? And yeah. Facebook, I'm seeing a lot of, I'm getting a lot of love from from older family members on Facebook now, and I'm thinking this might be the time for me to focus my attention on Snapchat. 
Yeah, I've just been trying to get my students to explain it because over the last year, marketing companies have said that the kind of follow the follow through that they're getting from that is absolutely huge. From so Snapchat, we want to think yeah. about it. yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the last year, it's sort of absolutely sort of gone off the roof. Yeah. Um, and they're all trying to work out how to monetize it and what kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But if that's where the conversation's happening, then that's the platform you've got to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah. And and that's so, the thing they they say that. Well, one one marketing guy that I I listen to, I like to listen to. He he always says that, that marketers ruin everything, and that's the, yeah. that's basically the thing. When when they see where the attention is, the next step is to is to is to be there, and that's of course that's the opportunity that we have as as a church to be part of that conversation. You got to be in the game to win the game. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's and you the can't thing. wait for three hundred committees because by that time <laughs> someone will be on something else. <laughs> so. yeah, yes, that is the truth. It moves so quickly. So why do you think I, I like something that you said earlier? Well, I like it all, but there's something earlier that you said that I want to um, pick up on. What is it? Why is it that um, throughout history, what is this fear? Um, kind of about everything, but in particular whatever people are seem to be doing there's just all this um yeah this negativity around it as you said be it now it's social media um before you know or it might be a certain type of music and then the next type of music and then the next and why is it that we can't as you say you're a historian as well um how comes we don't notice that trend and just like oh this is just the latest form of what we were doing back in our day why why can't we do that and then, well, I had to argue with my editor about putting a chapter about that basically in my book because she was like, oh, this history stuff's not relevant. I don't know, just let me write it yeah. and show you kind of what it is. And it's kind of, you know, trying to say it's not the end of the world as we know it. We've survived, mm-hmm. you know, the introduction of printing, the telegraph, the telephone, you know, the television. Yeah. <laughs> and I find the television more problematic because you just sit there and kind of go, uh. yeah. <laughs> Whereas at least on a phone, you're normally engaging with someone or doing something. True, true. Um, and of course, we live in a print age still where um, even if we're not reading newspapers um, in the print form, we're absorbing a lot of that online as they're all trying to work out how to. And they just want to tell us disaster, addiction, abduction, you know, sexing porn, yeah. uh, lazy, you know, <laughs> meeting strange people, getting groomed, yeah, yeah. jolly, all of that yeah, stuff. Well, yeah. that's what the press tells us day after day after yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's not what a lot of people want. Because I remember um, I was teaching a, a week's course at Durham a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and we were talking about Snapchat because it was just, and it only had a reputation really as a sexting app. Yeah. At that point, which is still what a lot of people will say, because yeah. that image disappears after you know ten seconds yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we had a seventeen-year-old who was doing some stuff with us, and he was sat there, and you could see him getting more and more angry. And he was like, "All of my friends use Snapchat, and none of us use it for that." You know, it's just our way of communicating, and it's really unhelpful when you're telling us that we're doing it for this and assuming <laughs> it, because then we'll start thinking, "Well, if you think we're going to use it for that, <laughs> we might as well." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So, um, oh. so some of it's trying to introduce that more positive stuff. Because I had um, I had a quote from a guy called Dan Garnum, but he wrote a book called Risk. He's a journalist, mm-hmm. interestingly. He said, we're the healthiest, wealthiest, safest generation in history, but the most terrified. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about after 9-11, mm-hmm. um, if you looked at the stats for road accidents the year after, they increased a huge amount while people weren't flying. And actually the number of people who died from that was higher than the number of people who died in the plane crash. Um, but of course the media doesn't focus on those kind of stories. On, on the yeah. actual statistics. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one of the things that I think you know youth groups can do really well is mm-hmm sit down with some of those stories, print them off, tear them out in the newspaper and talk about kind of is that their real experience and do mm. they want to start, you know, telling it. Because part of the joy of social is you can talk back. Mm. Um, you're still dealing with kind of power dynamics. They, you know, the Guardian, the BBC, all those kind of sites, they've got a history that means that we listen to them. Um, but at the same but point, it, what is interesting is that they're still, I'll, I'll watch the BBC News and, they're quoting from Twitter, which I saw hours, yeah. hours ago. <laughs> so, yeah. I, yeah. I always yeah. laugh when they do that. Yeah, that's, that to me is, it sums up the the fact that there they still do have the power, but they they are recognising somewhat that things are, are moving, are changing. Um, but you'll notice if you, if you have a thing that gets picked up by something like the Huffington Post or the Telegraph mm-hmm. and they one of your tweets it goes bonkers mm-hmm. you know I went on the one show to talk about my book mm-hmm. and that night my book went to number under in the top thousand on Amazon of every single item they were selling that's quite high isn't it um, yeah. <laughs> that is the power isn't it yeah so all those kind of things mm. are really making a difference and we need to not forget that and that's something that marketing industry is talking about is social media is really important I've always said it's about relationships mm-hmm. um, so I think you've got marketing's coming from a slightly different angle anyway mm-hmm. um, but some of them are saying you know a lot of companies are overemphasizing what social can do as marketing and they're they're starting to move back to tv ads and playing around with different things and different things so and i think what they forget is is when you talk about social media you have to remember the social and (laughs) yeah it's not promotion media it's it's social media that's the whole idea um about and it's um, <laughs> one of my other favorite um quotes because we were kind of talking about why does it all kind of go wrong is we have this thing called moral panics when mm. people feel that like they can't control what's going right. they understand it so they can't control it so they try and shut it down mm. and that's part of what i was trying to get rid of with this book is actually if we can get parents and others working with children to be less scared of this then we people can have a better experience both as parents the carers you know youth workers and hopefully we'll have less negative stuff mm-hmm. i think kids still think that the natural response for people is to shut stuff down mm. um it's a, what if they report bullying then they quite often don't report it because they think they're gonna have their phone taken off them to be mm. protected and so and that's why i think people need to raise those kind of topics um and i <laughs> I found one of my favourite quotes from um, Professor Sonia Livingston. Mm-hmm. Um, I use this all the time, so um, anyone who's seen me already will have heard this. Um, <laughs> Even though in practice, face-to-face communication can, of course, be angry, negligent, resistant, deceitful and inflexible, somehow it remains the idea against which mediators' communication is judged as flawed. 
Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's particularly strong in the church where we talk about the incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have ended up having chats with people about what does it mean to be incarnation online? You know, how do we inhabit that space with peace and love and grace and love? I mean, rather than that, otherwise it sounds a bit like Miss World. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> wow. but it's, because otherwise we just assume that the technology is doing all this stuff to us and giving us no choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it does shape certain directions of things. Mm-hmm. But there are things we, at the end of the day, quite often press the button. Um, yeah, we press we, send, yeah. Yeah, so so we've got all, we set up the software that lets stuff do automatically for us. And we need to think about actually how we're we doing that. Uh, I think there's some people who say we can't fight, fight the big software companies. But I think and we've got to, we've got to speak up, haven't we? Mm-hmm. And we've got to talk out about this stuff and, and and see what's possible. Awesome, right? I know to get unlimited access to this interview and all the other presentations that took place at the summit, head to www.theyouthworkshop.com. Oh, and don't forget to use the word podcast at checkout for a fantastic discount. Okay.